On today's episode of Sports Medicine Weekly, we talk about treating an athlete with a cartilage defect. Dr. Brian Cole will join me as usual to find what a cartilage defect is. We'll talk about the athlete's progression with this injury is the key to maximize non-surgical treatments. We'll discuss uh, what Dr. Cole's discussion is with the athlete on what treatment to use and explain what allograft treatment includes. It's all ahead on Sports Medicine Weekly. But first, warm weather is here. Time to get outside, enjoy your favorite activities, and spend precious time with family and friends. Aches, pains, or an injury should not be part of the memories you're making. The therapists at Rush Physical Therapy are here for you. With more than 60 locations throughout greater Chicagoland, Rush's clinical experts will get you back to life. Go to RushPT.com today to schedule an appointment. Not sure if physical therapy is right for you? Request a complimentary consultation and discover the power of Rush Physical Therapy today. Vericell develops, manufactures, and markets autologous cell-based therapies for patients with serious diseases and conditions. For more information about their products, visit vcellvcel.com. Dr. Cole, great to have you with us here on this uh, Sports Medicine Weekly podcast. We invite people to listen at any time, any place. Subscribe to the Sports Medicine Weekly podcast. They're shared weekly on social media. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I want to get in today, Dr. Cole, with uh, treating an athlete with a cartilage defect. It kind of jumped at me. And uh, first, I want to know, like, what is a defect? Is this something you're born with? Is this something following an injury? What's a cartilage defect? So, Steve, it's a, it's a great topic because it's not about all about athletes. It's about all comers who potentially have cartilage abnormalities. And to sort of uh, set the table, we're generally speaking about uh, the most common area involvement is the knee. And it can happen in virtually any age group. And it's a really a minor form of arthritis. This is these are patients who have articular cartilage problems. I'll explain what that is. Uh, who who have very localized spots of cartilage loss that can cause symptoms of pain, swelling, and loss of function. And to sort of set it up, it, our, our listeners should know for this episode that there are really two kinds of cartilage in the knee. One is the articular cartilage, that's the white lining at the ends of our bones, that's slippery, and that's what erodes or degenerates over time in some people, and that's known as arthritis. And then there's meniscus cartilage, which is the C-shaped sort of gasket between the femur, the thigh bone, and the tibia. And that sort of protects the ends of the bones in terms of how they contact one another, provides cushion. A cartilage defect is when there's a localized area of articular cartilage loss. So Steve, think of like a, a chicken bone. If you're opening up, you know, you're, you're eating chicken and you have a leg and you open it up and you see the white ends of the bone, yep. that's what articular cartilage is. And arthritis is the, is the sort of end point where there's broad or widespread loss of this cartilage. But this is different because this is very common. In fact, probably 40% of the population under the age of 35 has a cartilage abnormality in their knee, but fortunately most of them don't have symptoms. Those who do have symptoms are the ones who present to us. And when we looked at lost time in the NBA, for example, um, it, it's one of the most common sources of lost time in our athletes, but it's also one of the most common causes of pain in, in all comers. On any given Monday in my office uh, or my partners who treat these problems at Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, 
they will see these problems um, presenting as someone who has weight-bearing pain, pain that's associated with high-level activities, cutting, twisting, pivoting, uh, maybe swelling, maybe achiness, and the inability to perform the sports that they enjoy. So it's pretty typical. It's pretty common then, huh? It's very common by, say, MRI, but it's less common in terms of that which causes symptoms. But I will tell you, it could be up to 25% of a given day in patients who come in. So it is a frequent uh, source of uh, a need to see a orthopedic surgeon. Yeah, one of my questions, Dr. Cole, was going to be, what if they uh, have no symptoms, but the MRI looks bad? I mean, you, it yeah. sounds like that's typical then, like not a worry then, right? It's all about symptoms? Yeah, this is, um, I always like to quote, uh, there's a well-known author, uh, general surgeon, uh, Atul Gawande, who is uh, in the Harvard system, and he's written a number of books. And in one of his books uh, called Being Mortal, which is a great book if you have elderly parents to discuss sort of the, the natural trend of you know problems and medical problems that ensue over time and um, how we intervene as physicians to sort of stop that. And he has this expression where he says, we're sort of rotting from the inside out. And, you know, as we age, Steve, we accumulate all sorts of findings on imaging, especially MRI. And the more sensitive the test, the more likely it is you're going to pick something up. So I'd say a good part of my time is spent uh, explaining away findings on an MRI that have no importance clinically. They don't cause symptoms. Uh, the MRI is really important when we're trying to get more specificity with the diagnosis. But it's really interesting. I can, most of us can take a history of a patient uh, who, who they, we can do a physical examination, ask a few questions, and within five minutes or less, figure it out, and you never need the MRI. The MRI is confirmatory in most cases, but it's not what's ultimately required to actually make the diagnosis, but it can be particularly helpful. The flip side, as I'm alluding to, is it just picks up lots and lots of things that are unimportant. Right, and then on the um, uh, interesting note of that, or to your point, um, I want to ask you how different can MRIs look compared to when you actually look in the knee arthroscopically, right? You, you see something on an MRI, like on a picture, but then you're actually in there. And I know you discussed this um, uh, with some seminars that you've done and everything. Uh, that, that's your best look, right? Obviously, when you get inside. Yeah. So statistically, um, there's a study that we did with the uh, Chicago Bulls years ago. And this is the same data that's been generated from other uh, NBA teams. Preseason, we obtain MRIs in all of our players. And we do that to get a baseline of what's present. It's sort of like taking inventory. Because when there's an injury in season, we can then repeat the MRI and compare the in-season MRI to their preseason MRI. And we can say, hey, this is new and this is not new. And it, it does provide a lot of reassurance to the system, to the player, when there's things that were previously there that this just this didn't just happen. So the, in, the, in, in professional athletes, we see an incidence of about 40%. And these are people in their 20s, just to let you know how common it is. So the other thing is that the MRI can also underestimate what's present. I've had uh, many, many instances where we use the MRI to as a confirmatory tool of what we suspect is going on. It also is a, what we call a prognostic tool. It can show something, and I know based upon the appearance, what type of treatment is required and then what to expect as a result from that treatment. And um, the flip side is sometimes we see that the findings in the MRI are grossly underestimate what's happening inside the joint when we look at it with the naked eye using a small camera, otherwise known as an arthroscope. That's got to be interesting. It's revealing information, right? I mean, you're kind of chopping at the bit to go in there and actually see what's going on, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of the great things about what we do in sports medicine uh, is that we are um, like, you know, we're investigators, we're detectives. 
and and you have a limited amount of time to get it right and you got to get it perfect so um i that's one of the reasons honestly steve that i love doing what i do and that never gets old because we get to sit down and to kind of have this subset of questions in our head based upon you know you get information you walk into a room steve and i can see the age of the patient the gender what they're wearing how they're sitting how their posture is all of that gives me immediate information and then three to five questions later i have probably 75 percent of my knowledge that i need and then add in a few more questions. What makes the problem worse? How long has it been there? What makes it better? Uh, what are the things you're having trouble doing? What are your goals? Then you do a physical exam. Then you do a maybe review of x-rays and you kind of got it. You know, it's actually easy, but it's something I do every single day, but it's really satisfying. But as you say, when surgery is required, which, you know, my feeling is no surgery is a good surgery. In other words, if we can avoid surgery, we always like to do it. But when it is required, we learn an awful lot even before we do something that's therapeutic or, or done to treat that patient. Yeah, my next question is, you know, your discussion with the athlete on what treatment to use, um, you always lean towards is the key to maximizing a non-surgical treatment if you can? Yeah, I think what most of us who, who, who deal with athletes and, and patients in general, and I think it's, again, important to reiterate that, these, this discussion on this episode is not only about athletes because this is such a common problem. This discussion is about people who want to stay active but who have pain associated with these activities. And there's a general philosophy that certainly I subscribe to, and that's do the least about necessary to make someone well. And, you know, the business that in healthcare is, is more about reassurance and education than it is actually about doing. And, and despite being a surgeon for nearly 25 years, I do a lot more discussion and education uh, in the decision-making than I actually uh, do in terms of actually doing surgery. It, this is a, the, 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 the great thing about what we do is it's not thankfully life and death, but it's a degree of impairment. And we teach people how to understand that pain is not always a bad thing, that activities don't necessarily cause these things to make, be made worse, but they actually might elevate symptoms. And that's what's dissatisfying. And it's the symptoms that drive people to come see a doctor. And our job is to actually intervene and reduce those symptoms um, so that it's acceptable for a patient. And you know, the strategy, Steve, is really, I can ask you if you come in with a problem and say, look, you have two options. I can expand the ability of your joint to meet the demands of the world that you want to live in. So if you'd like to be active, you want to play baseball with your kids, you want to throw, you want to run, you want to lift weights. We, our job is to say, let's expand the ability of your joint to meet the demands of the world. Or I can say, Steve, you know, sh shrink your world and just adapt to it and don't do anything to the joint, but just do less. And most people are not interested in doing less. Most people are doing this, interested in doing the same or more. So our job is to sort of reduce symptoms so you can do the things that you enjoy, and you enjoy doing. Yeah, that's one of the things I noticed in one of your talks about this uh, cartilage defect conversation is, is it true? What is the least amount of treatment to make them feel better? Is that kind of the goal? I think, you know, again, these are personal objectives because I think I have a very good understanding of the natural history of these things. Because we know they're very common and we can't predict which ones will get worse, we're really left with treatment decisions about that reflect the here and now. In other words, how do you feel today and what are your goals today? We're not necessarily treating what might or could happen tomorrow. So this concept of skillful neglect, which means do, do the least amount necessary to get a patient to tolerate what they have is actually a, an important tenant in treating problems because really when people come in to, for a doc, to a doctor for any problem, Steve, it's usually because they have concern. You don't really understand the nature of your problem. You think that ignoring it will put you in a place later on that you don't otherwise could avoid being. So you think that you need immediate 
treatment, you know, immediately something needs to be done. The reality is if as a physician, our, our part of our craft is actually understanding what happens to these problems over time. And this is one area with cartilage defects that we have such a poor understanding of what tomorrow will bring. So the focus of treatment is on today. What do I have to do today to make you feel better so that you can do the things that you love to do? Right. But, you know, then it brings up this question, Dr. Cole. Are some athletes only concerned about their current state and return to play rather than what they may go through or suffer in the future? I mean, don't you have to look at when they're 50, 60 years old? I'm sure they ask that question. And maybe they don't ask that question, but you have to make them aware of, you know, you might have a problem here when you're 56. Is that just hard to predict? Yeah, it's so hard to predict. Now, again, this is one of philosophy and treatment philosophy and thinking. It's so hard to predict what might happen tomorrow because it may never happen. And that if if we start invoking treatments that could really compromise your quality of life today, Steve, without firm knowledge of what might happen tomorrow, I think that that's short-sighted. The last thing I want to do is do something that's more aggressive. I don't want to take a problem that just needs you know a, a firecracker and hit it with a stick of dynamite. Um, because of a fear of something that might happen tomorrow. Because keep in mind, every time you see treatment, there's a little bit of variability in terms of the outcome. And if it's not precise in terms of what it routinely delivers, you could be in, in, a, in an effect worse off now than you are you know, by ignoring it. And because something might occur doesn't mean it will occur. And even if we treat it today, it doesn't mean that we're in the business, unfortunately, of preventative medicine. The challenge is, even if I understood the natural history of all the things that we treat, we don't do a good job today of providing treatments that prevent long-term consequences, if that makes sense. The place that we are strongest is, I have a problem today, fix me today, reduce my symptoms today, make me feel better so I can do more. We are not so good at treating today to prevent problems of tomorrow. And that's just the nature of at least in healthcare, when it relates to musculoskeletal medicine, you know, treatment of problems with the cartilage, ligaments, bone, things of that nature. That may be a little bit unique. It's different than hypertension, Steve, which is a silent killer. You know, you may have no symptoms today with hypertension or high blood pressure, but it's actually destroying your organs unbeknownst to you. So while you may not have any symptoms today, ignoring or neglecting hypertension is not something you'd want to do, if that makes sense. So I'm speaking about orthopedics and the care of musculoskeletal problems, cartilage and ligaments and bone and things of that nature. I'm not talking about medical issues that can be ignored like diabetes and hypertension or cancer. You know, So it really depends upon the, the, the specialty that you're, you're speaking about. Okay, I want to ask you um, two other things uh, before we uh, say goodbye on this episode, but I want to ask you what allograft treatment includes and also what is marrow stimulation. But first, Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, MOR among the international leaders in musculoskeletal health. Midwest Orthopedics at Rush physicians, they're all faculty in the Department of Orthopedic Surgery at Rush University Medical Center, which is currently ranked number five in orthopedics by U.S. News and World Report. The physicians at Midwest Orthopedics at Rush are proud to be the official team physicians for the Bulls, White Sox, and the Chicago Fire Soccer Club, as well as the Joffrey Ballet. Visit RushOrtho.com to learn more. Schedule an appointment at one of Midwest Orthopedics at Rush's convenient Chicago and West suburban locations. One of our sponsors includes JRF Ortho. They partner with orthopedic surgeons to improve the quality of life of patients by enabling them to have an active life through the generous gift of cartilage and ligament transplantation. Please go to jrfortho.org to learn more or sign up to be a tissue donor at DonateLife. 
Net. Steve Cashel back here with Dr. Brian Cole, the head team physician with the Chicago Bulls and one of the team physicians with the Chicago White Sox from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, talking about treating an athlete with a cartilage defect. Um, uh, let's talk a little bit. This I know this could go in a lot of different directions, but um, uh, allograft treatments. Uh, we've talked about this before on on some of our shows, but um, this is an option, correct, uh, for a cartilage defect? So when an athlete has cartilage loss, uh, there's a defect in the surface of the end of the bone uh, causing pain and inability to perform in their sport, and there's no good non-surgical option to reduce those symptoms, we then consider surgical intervention, Steve. And we have a litany of options that uh, can be done, and some of them provide short-term relief, and some of them provide long-term relief. So when we have this sort of algorithm that we use, and this is an area that we've published immensely on to help people make decisions in the best interest of our athletes and our patients. And sometimes it's really simple, Steve. We just go in and we perform a debridement. We go in with the camera, clean off loose flaps of cartilage. And I've had a number of professional uh, athletes who have gotten back for several years by ignoring the defect, but cleaning up the little flaps of cartilage that are causing catching and pain. And you can still leave the defect and they feel better by just getting rid of those flaps. Alternatively, there's some other treatments that are sometimes used like, like what we call marrow stimulation, where we, we basically trick the body into healing the defect. So the one thing about cartilage loss is that our bodies don't have any real intrinsic ability to replace the damaged tissue, but there's one technique that we use that gets access to our body's stem cells cells that have the ability to drive repair tissue in the defect, but you gotta either poke some small holes in it or make it bleed in the surface of the defect intentionally. The challenge with that is that's a four to six month minimum recovery time to actually feel better. And the failure rates are still pretty high, 25 to 40% in our most elite athletes. So we have other treatments, Steve, that, that we've talked about on the show, and that's an allograft treatment. And that's where a donor who has bone and cartilage uh, actually can uh, be, we can use that. It's the same donor that donates their heart, liver, lungs, and things of that nature. And we can use that cartilage uh, to replace the area that's deficient. It's sort of like a, a tile. If you have a tile in your shower that pops out, it's replacing the tile to make it look perfect. We can actually do that with living cartilage from a donor. And we've had an enormous experience now, as, of, as have a few centers around the country, in treating the most um, uh, uh, demanding athletes, contact collision sports, NFL, uh, rugby, and NBA, who have cartilage defects and replacing that damaged area with donor cartilage. And to date, I would say that's become a relative uh, dominant treatment strategy when the simple things don't work. Why do you try simple? Because simple is something that could get an athlete to finish out their career. It doesn't, it's not always associated with prolonged recovery times. And if you have an athlete who takes more than a year to recover, Steve, it can be very difficult to get them back. You got The general rule of thumb is we've got to provide a solution that generally has a timeline less than a year. And that means a year or less to recondition and get back at their craft, which is not not an easy thing for some of the things we do. Uh, allograft, which is donor cartilage to resurface the defect, is one of those treatments that can be a six to eight month timeline to get someone back in, into a professional sport that even involves collision or, or high energy uh, activities. And finally, Dr. Cole, um, marrow stimulation. Uh, what is that? Yeah, so we talked a little bit about that. And the marrow stimulation is basically when we trick the body to induce a healing response by drilling is called microfracture. If you remember, you I think we've talked in the past that you know, Stoudemire was one who had microfracture when he was with uh, the, the Phoenix, Phoenix Suns. Right. And um, you know, it was a small defect that uh, the surgeon treated by poking a couple of holes in the bone to make it bleed intentionally, put him on crutches for six, eight weeks, then ramp up and it could take four to six months before you say you feel better, but it causes creation of scar tissue in that area. 
that's actually helpful to cover up the defect. Interesting. Good stuff, Dr. Cole. Appreciate it. Uh, that's uh, all the information we have uh, and time for, for talking about cartilage defects, uh, but very well, uh, well said, and uh, we appreciate it. Um, we want to remind everybody that uh, Karen Mulkin is uh, one of our sponsors, and she does an incredible job. This episode brought to you in part by Karen Mulkin's new protein brownie bars and superfood bars. Best tasting bars on the market, certified gluten-free, paleo, no added sugar. Karen's protein brownie bars, superfood bars available on Amazon and at karenmulkin.com. Well, we hope that everyone enjoyed our uh, podcast uh, here and uh, our episode on cartilage defects. We hope you enjoyed our Sports Medicine Weekly episodes and uh, many others uh, that you can find as you can listen anytime, anyplace. Subscribe to our Sports Medicine Weekly podcast. New Sports Medicine Weekly podcasts are shared weekly on social media. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, uh, we ask you to add the Sports Medicine Weekly podcast to your playlist on Apple and Spotify. For Dr. Brian Cole and our producer, Alex Roca, I'm Steve Cashel. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.